Stuff I Learned Yesterday, episode number 545, Commonalities. Well, hello everyone. My name is John McGrail. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 2. And I believe that if you're not learning, you're not living. Today, I'm talking about the importance of building a support system based on common experience and understanding. Well, happy hump day to you all. I hope your week is shaping up to great things and you're looking forward to whatever the end of the week holds in store. Holiday celebrations, setting goals for the coming year, finishing a project before the end of the year, whatever it is. Here's an internet radio toast to your success. Today, I'm talking about my lifelong opportunity to live with diabetes So let's get into a few fun facts about this very common condition. And the fun in these facts is, in fact, debatable. India has the highest population of people with type 2 diabetes, more than any other country in the world. The country with the highest percentage of people with type 2 diabetes is a tiny island in the South Pacific called Nuaru. It's the world's third smallest country after the Vatican City, and Monaco. The earliest known written record that likely referred to diabetes was in 1500 BC in the Egyptian Ebers papyrus. It referred to the symptoms of frequent urination. Diabetes symptoms such as thirst, weight loss, and excess urination were recognized for more than 1200 years before the disease got a name. The Greek physician Arateus I'll go with that, was credited with coming up with the name diabetes in the first century AD and thought a snake bite caused the disease. Diabetes is a Greek word that means to pass through. It was observed that urine quickly passed through patients with diabetes. The full name for the disease, diabetes mellitus. Mellitus is from Latin and it means sweet, like honey. In 1922, the pancreas was discovered to have a role in diabetes. Researchers studying digestion removed the pancreas from domestic dogs in a lab. An assistant noticed a large number of ants attracted to the dog's urine. The urine was tested and was found to have an extremely high level of sugar. So sorry for those dogs. (laughs) And type 1 and type 2 diabetes were officially differentiated in 1936. However, the difference had been noted in the 1700s when a physician noted that some people suffered from a more chronic condition than others who died in less than five weeks after onset of symptoms. And all of these come to us from www.verywell.com. Whatever you're living with, I'm pretty sure is teaching you something. I'd love for you to share what you're learning as part of the Friday Forum. The Friday Forum is your opportunity to share with me and the rest of the Stuff I Learned Yesterday community. Your stuff can be anything from up to 15 minutes and can be in your voice or written. You can add your stuff to the Friday Forum in several ways. By calling 304-837-2278 and leaving a voicemail. By going to www.goldenspiralmedia.com feedback where you can upload an audio file, use the provided SpeakPipe widget, or you can simply type out an email. Send it that way. By my count, there's only three opportunities, maybe four, not sure what Daryl's going to do, left to get your Friday Forum onto the podcast. Please don't wait. Now, here's what I learned yesterday. 
December 5th, 1973. Mom and Dad took their two-year-old son, me, to the hospital. Apparently, I had become really, really ill after a few weeks of never finding enough water to drink, always going to the bathroom, and had gotten sick to my stomach and could not stop to the point of dehydration. Now, diabetes in a two-year-old was not a prevalent thing, so testing my blood sugar, even in the hospital, was an afterthought. Now, normal blood sugar range is 70 to 120. Mine came back as high, which meant it was unreadable and above 800. With the diagnosis, determined a treatment was underway. Insulin would have to be given by injection for the rest of my life, as my pancreas had stopped producing the hormone naturally. Blood sugar levels would have to be monitored, and diet and exercise would not look quote-unquote normal also for the rest of my life. Now again, in 1973, diabetes didn't have nearly the level of understanding that it does in our culture today. My mom especially was devastated. But after a couple of weeks and seeing other kids around me in the pediatric ICU, some in much worse conditions than me, she quickly learned perspective and realized that diabetes was a condition that could be lived and managed fairly well. Giving four shots a day to a toddler was traumatic, for sure. Trying to go to the bathroom in a cup multiple times a day, well, that wasn't very fun either. Especially while trying to potty train. That must have been interesting. But all in all, (laughs) we made a life of it, and we did fairly well. We had an amazing pediatrician who advised my parents to try not to live in a state of hypervigilance. If I was going to a friend's birthday party, then eat what you want. We'll just take a little more insulin after it's over. And one of the other things that made life bearable as a diabetic kid was knowing that I was not the only one. Although I think I was the only one in my elementary school of a couple hundred kids. Which sounds crazy now that I look back on it. But every summer we would have Diabetes Day Camp. Our local chapter of the American Diabetes Association sponsored it. The ADA, as I'll refer to it, was a real lifeline in terms of getting families together that were all dealing with the same circumstances, even if the condition looked a little different from child to child. So at these day camps, we would do all kinds of fun stuff. Crafts, roller skating, swimming, a little health stuff. And each year would have its own theme. I remember the Olympic one, which coincided with the Summer Olympics back sometime in the mid to late 70s. Oh boy. Anyways, the camps were great because I was with all kinds of kids who knew what it was like to live this kind of life every day. As a teenager, I continued my time with the ADA in a much different way. I found out about a program called the National Youth Leadership Congress. Each state around the country would send two representatives to Washington, D.C. every year for a conference on youth and diabetes issues. We'd have a ton of fun together. And as a group, we'd go lobbying to our congressmen to educate and push legislation that would benefit us as patients and citizens. It was a fantastic experience that I got to attend for two years as a participant. In my second year there, I was elected by the group to be a part of the youth leadership team. And so, therefore, I got to attend meetings that would lead up to the Congress event. We got to plan the program and shape what those next year's programs would look like. The leadership team was broken up by four regions of the country. So in my last year in the, in the leadership team, I got to mentor the leader, the new leader from my region. 
To this day, we still have a beautiful friendship that far transcends our condition. It was simply the foundation of what brought us together. And through this time, I was even chosen to represent the United States, along with a friend from our team, to attend a similar kind of conference, but on a worldwide scale. We spent two amazing weeks in Oslo, Norway, where I met youth from all over the world that never would have come together without our common struggle. Those experiences directly influenced my ability to one day become a CEO of a multi-million dollar financial institution. It has shaped my character as someone empathetic to circumstances that at times just sucks eggs. Sorry. (laughs) My condition helped me shape always conscious about myself at all times having to be, but at the same time, always wanting to put the needs of others first. Had I not had all of these amazing experiences built around a common foundation, I could have easily seen my own circumstances as limiting and set boundaries around myself that never would have been necessary. Here's what I learned. This episode is mainly born out of what Scott shared with us on Thanksgiving Day, and I'm thankful for him for doing it. Our perspective on our own situation can be skewed if we think we're the only one dealing with a particular condition, struggle, or pain. Let me tell you what you already know. You are never alone, nor should you be. Now, with the stuff I learned yesterday, community, I know I'm preaching to the choir. If you're interested in this podcast, then you're already about sharing common experiences and learning from each other. What I want to challenge you is to use your own sphere of influence and see how you can start putting people together that need each other. Maybe they don't even know it yet. Just today, I stopped by one of my pastor's office and he asked for my advice about someone going through an adoption kind of situation and how to best approach it. If I weren't already open about my extraordinary experiences in my own story, he wouldn't have been able to bounce his thoughts and ideas off of me. He and I talked about that one day I might even be a resource to this situation because of the common experience. We are not meant to live alone. Even the most introverted of us needs the common experience of those around them to lend objectivity, empathy, and when necessary, sympathy. I am so thankful for all of you who listen to this podcast and keep that kind of community available. I'm John McGrail, and this has been Stuff I Learned Yesterday. Follow Golden Spiral Media on Twitter at GSM Podcasts and Facebook.com slash Golden Spiral Media. To subscribe to Stuff I Learned Yesterday, visit GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash subscribe. If you'd like to join our popular Facebook group, go to Facebook.com slash groups slash Stuff I Learned Yesterday. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Stuff I Learned Yesterday, I'd be grateful if you'd leave a review in iTunes by going to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. And please, pass this podcast along to somebody you have something in common with. Have a great day, everyone.